we've had a good uh, journey as we've looked through uh, chapter 1. We've been in awe of God's creation and the power that is there in His spoken word to bring everything to pass uh, that we see today. Um, we've been reminded of the, uh, the need for rest as we have the example in the beginning of chapter 2 of God resting on the seventh day. We've been able to uh, look deeper into this amazing act of creation that God did as he formed man specifically, specially out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life and, and, and made man in the image of God. And then we've kind of uh, taken a, a more of a sad turn in these last few weeks as we've gone to Genesis chapter 3 and we've seen how man had one job, Right? Take care of the garden. No, you know what I'm talking about, right? He had one thing that he shouldn't do. Don't eat of the tree. And we've seen how Eve was deceived. And then we've seen how Adam chose to disobey God and the punishment there. And then I really liked how Andy brought out the fact that even in the punishment, even in the judgment that God was bringing forth, we see grace. We see a God who cursed the ground but didn't curse the people. We see a God who had to give pain and suffering as judgment of, of what had happened, but yet he took care of them. We see a God who sends them out of the Garden of Eden, which we would look at as, as man, that's just, <laughs> that's kind of the, the last nail in the coffin, right? But why did he do it? For their good. Because if he hadn't, they would have eaten of the tree of life and lived forever in a state of sin and death and hell never to be reconciled and best of all he gave a promise he gave hope to these two people as he sends them out in the world he gives them hope saying there's going to be a redeemer there's going to be someone that will defeat the serpent and we're going to see in this chapter the beginning of that process as we come to chapter 4 let's yes chapter 4 Let's read. We're only going to go through verse 8 this morning. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and fell, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Do you have one of those family members that um, nobody really likes to talk about? Um, maybe, maybe they're just super weird and, you know... I, I kind of debated whether or not to use anybody in my family. I don't think any of them will, will actually listen to this sermon. But uh, especially now, since we're, we don't have the normal recording, maybe it just won't make it online. No. Um, 
you know, but there's that, there's that person, they're just, they're just weird, man. And you don't want to go to the family reunion and see them. You know, you don't, don't want to be around them. You really don't want anybody to know that you're associated with them. Uh, maybe it's not weird. Maybe it's somebody that's, you know, they've done something horrible and they're in prison. Um, and you're just like, man, I, I do not want to be associated with that person. You know, maybe it's somebody sitting next to you this morning. I don't know. Um, but, but we all, we all have somebody in our family that you're like, man, I just, I, I want to distance myself from that person, you know, for whatever reason they, they just have, maybe they just have different, you know, a way of life. They're, they're living things, you know, the way that I don't think they should live, you know, whatever it is. And a lot of times, why do we want to do that? Because other people are looking at us, right? And other, other people know, as soon as they know, they think about us differently, right? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the black sheep of the first family. And I'm not talking about Trump, right? I'm talking about the real first family, right? The very first family unit that we see at the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, and that is the family of Adam and Eve. And here we have one of those stories that, you know, they would, they would probably like to brush under the rug. They, they would be like, eh, let's not talk about, let's not talk about Cain. You know, let's not talk about Cain and Abel. Um, in fact, it's interesting, you know, when you get down to the end of chapter four, which we'll look at later, um, it's almost like, it's almost like Eve wants to just kind of brush everything under the rug. When Seth comes along, she's like, yes, thankfully the Lord gave me a replacement for Abel. <laughs> I don't have to think about that awful uh, thing that happened anymore. I'm kind of putting words in my mouth, but that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I see it when I, when I read through that. But this morning we're going to look at, we're just going to get through those verses that we talked about or that we read here just a minute ago. And we're, we're going to look at this scenario, but you know, a lot of times when, when we preach through this scenario and we'll do it a little bit this morning as well, um, we focus in on the characters, and I want to, yes, focus in on the characters because that's who we're seeing here. But I want to understand what's going on, not just from the character's perspective, but from God's perspective as well. Because I think a lot of times we can get caught up in looking at just these characters and we can maybe get takeaways from it that are okay takeaways, but maybe are not the most important takeaways. And this morning, I want to, I want to take a look at this, uh, this process. And, and, and we begin uh, here in verse one with a very simple statement, right? Very simple statement. It says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. All right. That sounds like a pretty simple introduction. Um, I'll be honest with you though. I, I kind of, I'm kind of uh, impressed by, by Adam in this. I mean, I, I'm just, I was just thinking about this. Here's Adam and, and Eve and there's never been a birth before, you know? So I'm thinking, I kept thinking back to you when my first son was born. It's kind of maybe fortuitous that none of my family is here this morning except for AJ. But uh, this way I won't embarrass my wife. Um, but, uh, but I remember when my first son was born, when our first child was born. And I mean, we were, we were so young and I had no clue what was going on without most of it. And, uh, and we're there in the delivering room and my, you know, my wife is there and yes, she's got the meds, but I mean, you women know it's still painful, right? And she's, 
you know, screaming at the top of her lungs and she's squeezing my hand and, my, the, you know, I don't have any feeling anymore. And I'm just standing there like a deer in the headlights, like what in the world is going on? What did I sign up for? Whose idea was this? Um, and, and the, you know, the doctors are doing their thing and, and, you know, they're all talking and communicating and they're telling her what to do. And I'm just literally just standing there um, because <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm only, what, 25? I don't know. I forget how old I was. But, uh, you know, I'm just, this is, this is a whole new territory for me. And, and all of a sudden, out comes this gray alien, um, weird-looking thing, you know. And the doctor's saying, you know, cut the cord, cut the cord. I'm like, eh, I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and then, you know, moms, they, they bring the baby. I'm giving it to mom. And mom's crying, you know, tears of joy, all the pain and all that is done. And she's got the, the baby and, it, and it's crying and he's crying, I should say. He's crying. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was stressed out. Man, it was rough. It was rough. I'm telling you, I, my knees, my knees were shaking and, you know, I almost fainted. I kind of, I kind of just backed up and, and sat down you know, I mean, it was, it was hard. It was stressful. I know I'm a wimp. Get over it. You know, but no, I mean, that's, that's the honest truth. I am a wimp and that's exactly what happened. Um, thankfully the, the next few were a little bit better on, on my end, but, uh, but you know, that was, I was stressed out with that first one. And I had a lot of help. I had doctors and nurses and, you know, family members and all kinds of people in there. And, uh, and it was stressful for me. And I, I can just imagine, Here's Adam. He didn't have any medical training, but isn't that the beauty of God's creation? You think about that. God made Adam intelligent enough to understand how to deliver the first child. Think about that. You know, we, we, we talk about or we, we, all these things about how evolution's, you know, not true and things like that. And we, we talk about from scripture that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with how, how God created everything. You know, and, and to think about the little things like that, you know, that, that God gave Adam the intelligence to name animals. I mean, we have name books and how long does it take us to figure out what to call our kids, you know? And Adam didn't have anything. He just named them. That's, that's the, the intelligence that he had. And here he is delivering these children. I don't know how many kids he delivered, um, you know, maybe he only delivered the first few. I don't know. They lived a lot longer back then. Um, but I kind of, I kind of look at Adam with a, you know, a little bit of pride that he was able to to deliver these guys. But here he is, and we have Adam and Eve, and they are they are bearing children. And it's interesting, you know, she names the first child what? What does she name the first child? Cain, right? Does anybody know what Cain means? What? Oh, nobody? Okay. It means gotten. In fact, basically, Cain is a cognate from the Hebrew word for gotten. That's what we, that's, that's just what we English people do. <laughs> so, uh, basically, it just means I have, that's why she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, right? And it's interesting, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, it's something that a lot of people pull out of this passage, and I, and I think rightly so. Um, it's interesting that when she says this, she doesn't, we don't have anything like that about her delivering Abel, 
Right? What does it say? It says, I've got a man with the help of the Lord. And it says, and, and again, she bore his brother Abel. It's like Abel's almost an afterthought, you know? Uh, but I had gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And, and I can't help but wonder if when she has that, young, that man, that boy, when that, when that boy is born, if she's not remembering back to what happened at the end of chapter 3. When God made that promise and said, hey, serpent, you're going you're gonna to bruise the seed of the woman's head, but he's going to heal, but he's going to crush your head. You know, and I can't help but wonder if maybe she was a little excited when, when, Adam, when Adam takes that, that baby and says, it's a boy. <laughs> and I don't know. I wonder if she maybe was thinking, there he is. There's the one, the, the seed of Eve that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And of course, we know, obviously, that Cain was not that promised seed. Um, we're all very well aware of what's going to happen here in the next few verses. Um, but Eve is rejoicing in this birth. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't know for sure if that's what her mindset was. It seems, it seems interesting that she seems a little bit more excited about this one. Abel's just kind of like, eh, <laughs> I got another one, <laughs> so to speak. But, um, but it's interesting. We don't know uh, really what was going through her mind. When we look at this passage, you know, it moves straight on from, uh, from their birth all the way up to most likely adulthood. We don't know exactly how old these men were at the time. Uh, we know that they had specific jobs. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, uh, verse 2 tells us that Cain was a worker of the ground. Right? What does that mean? What? He's a farmer, right? Cain was a farmer. Um, and, I, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, here's, a, here's Adam. He's coming from the Garden of Eden. His job was to take care of the garden. And God tells him part of the curse is that the ground is going to resist him now. The ground's going to fight back. It's going to have thorns and thistles, and it's going to be hard. And, and he's going to have to work, and he's going to have to sweat and toil the ground to be able to have the food that, uh, that his family needs. So it makes sense that when, by the time Cain comes along, Adam's probably been working the ground and building his, his farm. And, uh, and it makes sense that Cain would kind of follow in those footsteps, right? He would jump right in and that would be his job. He would be a part of that agricultural system. Um, and then we have Abel. And Abel, it says, was a keeper of sheep. A keeper of sheep. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. That seems a little weird, doesn't it? Especially if you kind of, if you, if, you, if you look at the timeline of events as only Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You know, you kind of think it was maybe a little odd that Abel's keeping sheep and everybody else is working the ground. Um, I think it's interesting if you go to chapter 5, uh, it tells us that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Think about that. He was 130 years old when Seth was born. Seth was the replacement for Abel, right? So 130 years, he'd been probably working the ground. And it tells us that um, obviously Adam had other sons and daughters. So we know that Adam had other sons and daughters. And at this time, in, 
next week we're going to talk. We're going to see the fact that Cain was married. So as far as we can tell, at this time when this story happens, Cain is married, so he has a wife. All right. Where'd the, where'd the wife come from? We'll talk about that next week. But uh, but it's very logical and very possible given the time frame. We don't know when. These boys were born. We don't know how old Adam was when Cain was born, when Abel was born. But it's very possible that there were daughters born between them, that there were daughters maybe even born before them. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that there was obviously somebody that was old enough for Cain to be uh, married to. So it's one of those things that, you know, we don't really think about a lot, but Keep it in the back of your mind when, when you're reading scripture. Understand that it doesn't always give us a perfect exact timeline. Sometimes there's things that, that we don't always see. In fact, when we get to chapter 5, we're going to see all the genealogies are about men. We really don't really have a whole lot of information about women in genealogies. It just isn't there. And a part of that is the way that, that they uh, kept track of, of generations in, in the, the uh, Israelite process. But, but we just don't have a lot of information about women. So it's very likely that there were daughters that were born either around the same time or possibly even before Cain and Abel were. Which I think is probably one of the reasons why Eve might have been so excited when Cain came along. <laughs> So either way, whatever the reason is, I, I think maybe by the time Abel came along, there might have been enough farm workers, and, uh, and maybe he was able to kind of take on another, another uh, opportunity there for a job. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I think you can kind of make some logical steps there. Um, but that's not doctrine, so don't, don't preach it. All right? So here we have Cain, who's a worker of the ground. That's his job. That's what he does. He's good at it. We have Abel, who is a keeper of sheep. And, uh, and we have them now coming to a time of worship. A time of worship. And this morning, the title of my message, if you want a title, is The Heart of Acceptable Worship. The Heart of Acceptable Worship. Because I believe that even in this passage that we see this morning, I believe it can be very instructive for us today as we come to worship. Is it, well, I mean, we're not, we're not bringing sacrifices, right? Nobody's coming up here with a watermelon, you know, to put it up on the stage or, or a lamb. You know, that'd be even scarier. <laughs> Somebody walks up here with a lamb and a knife, we're in trouble. Um, but, you know, nobody's, nobody's coming up here like that. So, you know, why is it worship? Well, if you look at um, the first one that comes to my mind is, is Abraham. When Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac, what does he tell the servants? He says, stay here. When they're on the mountain, he says, stay here while my son and I go, what? Worship. So we know throughout all of the Old Testament that this is a part of worship. And so today I want to take a look at these passages, or these, these verses this morning, not just in light of what happened then, but compare the hearts of these two men to our hearts when we come to worship today. Why would I do that? Well... The Bible tells us that God never changes, right? God never changes. You can see that in Malachi 3.6, um, Hebrews 6.18, and James 1.17, among other passages. 
there are multiple places in Scripture where it says that God does not change. And God in this passage is going to respond to how Cain brings an offering and how Abel brings an offering. And we know that God doesn't change. So that means that the way that he's viewing these offerings, the way that he's viewing these acts of worship is the same way that he's going to view and test our acts of worship. And so this morning, as we look at these men, I want to not get caught up necessarily in these men were good or bad, but rather what is the heart of these men and how can we emulate the one that God wants to accept? So let's dig into that this morning. We're here in verse three and it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And that's an interesting phrase in the course of time. Um, what is that talking about? I don't know. <laughs> that's a simple answer. I don't know. I don't know what the course of time was. We don't have anything from Genesis 1 to Genesis 4 that, that we know of that God has told them, hey, at this time every year or at this time in your life, you need to come and make a sacrifice to me. We don't have anything about that. Um, you know, it's interesting, not to get sidetracked, but it's interesting that um, throughout the book of Genesis, we're, we're going to see multiple people um, making these offerings, and we don't have any instruction from the Lord other than the instruction to Abraham and Isaac. Other than that one, we don't have any instruction from the Lord until we get to the law telling them about sacrificial worship. But yet somehow these people knew even back all the way back to Cain and Abel that there was a time and a place and a purpose for them to come and worship God. You think maybe that opens up Romans chapter one a little bit to us? Even though they knew that he was God, they rejected him. We know as human beings, we are made in the image of God. We know what he desires innately. These men knew somehow. Maybe God told them. I don't know. He didn't tell us that he told them. But these men knew that they needed to worship God and they needed to present something to God as an act of worship. And it's interesting, you know, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this either, but it's interesting that they knew what to bring. You ever think about that? All of these burnt offerings in the in the, the book of Genesis, I mean all, there's not that many. Um, if you want to look them up, they're, uh, we've got uh, Genesis 8 with Noah. We have Genesis 22 with Abraham. That's the one with Abraham and Isaac. Um, but even then, you know, when he, when he has the ram, he knows what to do with it, right? Um, Genesis chapter 35 and 36, we have Jacob slash Israel um, making these offerings. These, these men knew even what a clean animal was. Think about that. They knew what an acceptable offering looked like. In fact, in, in chapter 8 of Genesis, we're going to see uh, when Noah makes his offering, God even told him, you're going to collect seven, when, he, when, he's, when he's getting the animals into the ark, seven of every, what? Clean animal. So somehow these guys knew whether God told them 
We don't have it recorded. Or they just knew innately because of God's creation and, and the way that he, he made man. There was a knowledge, there was an understanding that for Cain and Abel, that there was a time and a place and an offering that needed to be made to God. And so let's look at these offerings. I want to start with Abel's offering. It's a little bit out of order, but I want to start there because I want to look first at the offering and the heart of the offering that God accepted before we look at the heart of the offering that God rejected. So let's look at Genesis chapter 4. We're going to skip down to verse 4. It says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So let's, look at, let's take a look at, at this offering that Abel made. I want to, I want to be clear. Even though, you know, we just said that, that it seems clear in Genesis that men knew what they should bring as an offering to God. I want to, I want to be clear that nowhere in Scripture... Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that Cain's, the substance of Cain's offering was wrong. Okay, and there are several passages that reference Cain, reference his sin. Never once does it say that the substance of his offering was wrong. It never says that because he didn't bring a blood offering, he was rejected. The Bible doesn't say that. Okay, so if you've heard that, wipe it out. <laughs> All right, that's just somebody's opinion. Okay? The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible focuses on is the heart and the behavior and the attitude of the one worship. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So as we look at Cain's offering, we can get a glimpse of Cain's heart by the offering that he makes, at least by the description of the offering that he makes. And I think that we can do the same with Cain Regardless of the fact that one is an animal and one is vegetables. Of course, if I were God, I'd prefer meat over vegetables too. But, you know, I'm just saying. All right, so here we have, we have Abel. And Abel comes to the Lord and he brings an offering and he brings, what does it say? We, said, we see that Abel brings of the firstborn of his flock. He brings of the firstborn of his flock. Why is that important? I know we're not an A and I time, but that's all right. Why, why would that be important? That he brings the firstborn of his flock. This is a common theme, especially in the Old Testament. In fact, you'll see it in the New Testament some too. This idea of the firstborn, the first fruits, right? Why would that be important? Priority? Yeah. What? Give God the best. Give God the best. You're getting ahead of me. Stop. We'll get to the best in a minute. This is just the firstborn. This is just the first. All right? Because it's like, like the, the first tomato that comes off your tree, your vine, you're like, man, I can't wait till it's ready and you want to eat it, you know? But yeah. But if you give it to someone else, you're, you know, disappointed. Exactly. It, it puts someone else as a higher priority than you. Right? If you're giving the first of something to someone else, you're saying you are more important than me. You know, kids, how often do you let your brothers and sisters have the first choice? 
Who wants the first choice? You want the first choice, right? Yeah, because you want to get the best thing, right? But really, if you want to honor your brother or sister, if you want to say, you know what? You deserve this more than I do. You're putting them in a higher place. You're, you're making them more important than you by giving them the first choice, by giving up the first fruit. That's why God required first fruit so often because it reminded the people of Israel specifically that he was important, that he was supreme, that he was in authority, that he was the one that sustained them. And I think there's another reason for that. If, if you're giving away the first part, is there a guarantee you're going to get a second part? Nope. You may only get one tomato this year, you know, and you gave away to God. And, you know, that was silly. You know, now you can't eat. No, there's no guarantee that you're going to have more. But when you give the first fruits, what you're saying is not only, God, do I honor you, but I understand that everything that I have comes from you. And I'm willing to show my dependence on you. And Abel is offering up of the firstborn of his flock. And that's the heart that he's demonstrating. A heart that says, I understand who you are. I understand your place. I understand how important you are and how high you are. And I understand that, that even, even these sheep procreate because of you. You allow it to happen. And I'm giving it back to you. The heart of Abel was one that understood the God that he was worshiping. When we come to worship, we have a lot of facts about God in our head. We have a lot of knowledge about God in our head. We sing a lot of good songs about God. But when we come to worship, do we really see God as who he is? Do we just sing the words of the song because we're used to them? Or are we seeing that God whose name is above all names? Is that what we're focused on? Is that where our heart is when we come to worship? When we give, whether it's in, in a church setting or whether it's uh, to, to an individual or whether, you know, whether it's through our time or our money, whatever that looks like, are we doing that because we place God and his authority as important? Or do we do that so somebody else is going to see? When we serve, do we pick only the jobs that others notice or are willing to do whatever need needs to be met? Because it's not about us. It's about the one we're really serving. All those things are worship. When we're listening to the sermon, are we listening with the goal of understanding who this great God is better so that I can then respond to that in the right way? Or are we just waiting for the time to be passed so that we can check the box and say we went to church? All of these things are worship. But how do we approach worship? Abel approached worship in a way that showed that he understood the importance and the magnitude and the highness of God. But that's not the only thing. Kim got us ahead of it a little bit. He says, not only did he bring up the firstborn, but what else? 
He says that he brought of their fat portions. What in the world does that mean? Of their fat portions. It's like, I could participate in that. All right? No. That's, uh, what is he talking about? Anybody know? Yeah, the healthy ones, the good ones. Um, we, we do this today. We fatten up the animals that we're going to eat, right? We fatten up the pigs. We fatten up the, the, the cows. I don't know what else to eat. Those are the two ones that I eat. <laughs> um, you know, we, we fatten up. You know, that's, that's that process of maturing and, and being prepared to, to be consumed, right? That's, that's a process. I think of, whenever I think of, you know, this fatting up, I think of the, uh, the prodigal son. Right, the prodigal son comes home, and he's he's trying to apologize to his father, and his father's you know just ex- ecstatic that his son has come home. He's putting the ring on his finger, the robe on his back, and he says, "What?" He says, "Kill the fatted calf." Right? He didn't say, "Go kill that new calf that we just had." No, we want the fatted calf. Right? We want the good one. We want the best. And so here we see Abel is coming to God. And he's bringing of the firstborn of his flock, but also bringing of the fattest of his flock. He's bringing of the best of his flock to God. The heart of Abel's worship was one of understanding who it was that he was worshiping, placing high value on him. But it was also offering the best of what he had to give. Do we offer the best of what we have to give when we worship? When we're spending our time, our quiet time alone, are we giving God our best at that time? Or is it just, well, I need to read through these verses, you know, say a quick prayer, good to go for the day. Or are we engaging with our Savior? Because that's worship. When we're coming to sing, are we singing with our best? Say, I don't have a great voice. I don't care. Sing loud. We'll cover you up. Are you singing to him and for him? And are you singing to the best of your ability? When you serve, when you give all these acts of worship. It's not just coming in here and singing these songs and then we move on to something else. That's not all worship is. Worship is everything that we do. Because it should be done to God. That's worship. And do we do that in a way that exalts him and a way that gives him our best? That's the heart of Abel when he comes to make this offering. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, mentions Abel as well. That's a very common passage. We all know we call it the hall of faith, right? The hall of faith. And it's interesting what it says about Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. God does not pronounce Abel's greatness because of the type of sacrifice that he gave, nor because of the fact that he was murdered. But rather, the author of Hebrews tells us that his faith in God 
was revealed by his acceptable offering. Think about that. His faith in God was revealed by his acceptable offering. It is the faith in God that endures beyond his death, not the substance of his sacrifice. Think about that. It's the faith in God that caused him to offer an acceptable sacrifice that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 about, not the substance of it. So Abel came to God, not just understanding who he is, not just, not only understanding who he is, not only offering his best, but he did it out of a heart of faith. Out of a heart of faith. Believing that if he did that, if he offered what, what, was, what was putting God in his highest place, if he offered what was his best to the Lord, that he would be accepted. Do you believe that? When you come in here this morning to quote worship, do you worship in faith, believing that you are doing it to work to a God who is here, who is watching, who is listening? Do you even believe that? Or is it just tradition? Is it just what we do? But do you come in faith, believing that if you do it in the right way, that he accepted. You know, we, we kind of maybe have this false idea that just because we're singing and we're saved, that it's all good. Just because we're saved and we're giving, God accepts it. Well, maybe he doesn't. Because maybe we're not coming at it with the right heart. Abel had a heart of faith. We don't have a lot of time. Let's contrast Cain. So we go back to Cain. I know we, we, did, we skipped ahead and did Abel first, but we go back to Cain. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. The end. <laughs> That's it. He brought an offering of the fruit of the, fruit of the ground. This was an offering of the things that he worked with. Obviously, Abel brought an offering of that which he worked with, that which he, he, he toiled. And, and so Cain brings an offering as well of what he worked for, what he toiled. But what's missing? He didn't bring the first fruits, right? It mentioned it about Abel. So if Cain had done the same thing, wouldn't it mention the same thing? I would think so. I feel like God's consistent in that way. But Cain did not bring of the first fruits. We don't know what he brought. Don't, we don't know if it was sitting out for three days. I don't know. It just says that he brought from his work in the field. So here we have a contrast of Cain not bringing first fruits, not necessarily even bringing the best. He's just making an offering. He's just doing what he knows he's supposed to do. He's just going through the motions. Ever been there? Just going through the motions. And you know, we can, you can say, well, maybe you're reading into that a little bit too much, David. <laughs> you're reading in what's not there. Yeah, a little bit. But let's look at Cain's reaction. Let's look at Cain's reaction. We have these two offerings. Cain brings 
this fruit of the ground. Abel brings the best that he has. God accepts Abel and he rejects Cain. Verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And what happened? So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, this is not saying that Cain was disappointed. Right? Didn't say Cain was a little upset. You know, I, I think of when, I, when my kids have some idea, kids, you ever ask your parents for something and they say no? Okay, show me the face that you make when they say no. Yeah, there's a good one right there. Yeah, she's got she's got too much practice, brother. You need to say yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's she's got it down. It's 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 just like oh, I mean, disappointment, right? Yeah, I really wanted to do something, and mom and dad said no. Oh, you know, but that's not the face that Cain had. It says Cain was very angry. Kids, show me very angry face. All right. Yes, she doesn't want to try now. Yeah, we got you. You're smiling though. That doesn't work. Somebody very angry. Anybody? There we go. Oh, he's mean. All right. Yeah, very angry. Jurors. I mean, I just I can imagine. I mean, I can just imagine Cain. Man, he's getting red, and he's got veins popping out of his neck and his forehead and everywhere. I mean, he is he is angry. He is angry. Almost enough to turn green a bit. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's really mad. Here he is. He, I did all this work and I toiled and I brought this stuff and I gave it to God. I did everything I was supposed to. I checked the box, right? I did it. And you didn't accept what I did. He gets angry. And we'll see here in a minute. He's not only angry at God, he's also angry at his brother. He's angry. And it says his face fell. You know, if he had a cloud, it would be over him. You know, I mean, he was, he's angry. He's mad because God has not accepted what he did, what he offered. But it's interesting. God is a loving God. You know, I, I really enjoyed, like I said, how Andy brought out the fact that God is a gracious God even in doling out punishment. He's a gracious God. And I think it's interesting here, we kind of see a little bit of that heart again as he begins to talk with Cain. What does he say? It says his face fell in verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So he's kind of using the same approach he did with Adam and Eve, right? He's asking questions. He's saying, why are you angry, Cain? Why? I can tell you're angry because your face has fallen. Why are you angry? If you do what you know you should do, if you do well, will you not be accepted like your brother? He, he's, he's offering an olive branch. He's like, think about this, Cain. Just calm down and think about this. If you do it right... If you do it with the right attitude and the right heart, will you not be accepted? He's giving Cain a chance to think through this and fix it. Do you ever think about that? God is giving Cain the opportunity to make it right. 
He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But then he gives him a warning. What does he say? He said, and if you, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What's he saying? He's saying, Cain, look, you have an opportunity to do it. You have the the ability to do it right. But if you don't do it right, sin is right there, ready to take over. And and that illustration, sin is crouching at the door. I mean, what else do you think when you read that other than what Peter said, where Satan walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? You know, and and there is, you know, we can talk about separation between sin versus Satan. But sin is right there, it's constantly with us, it's ever present, constantly seeking to take over, constantly seeking to rule our lives. That's why Romans 6 tells us that we have to crucify it, right? We have to to reckon, we have to understand that we are dead to it because of what Christ has done. Those of us who are saved this morning, that should never happen, theoretically, (laughs) because we have the Holy Spirit. But yet sin is, is waiting and it's just looking for that opportunity to take over. And he's giving this warning to Cain. We have here, we've, we've had the fall of man that we've, that we've seen, but now we're kind of seeing that first instance of man struggling with his sin nature. And God's telling him, he's warning him and saying, look, sin wants to take over and rule you, but what does he say? You take control. You take control. Now, of course, we know As fallen men, without the Holy Spirit, that's not something that we can ever do completely. And so I don't think that God was expecting Cain to be able to do that. I don't think he even, I I would say that Abel didn't even do it completely. But there was enough in Cain that God said, you need to be able to control your urges. You need to be able to control these these sins that you are desiring to do because if you don't stop now, if you don't fix this anger now, it's going to control you. Does this sound like the heart of a person who came for worship? No. Does this sound like the heart of a person who was bringing the first fruits, bringing his best to God? This is the heart of a man who is ruled by his own desires, his own thinking. And you know, we can be the same way. When we come to worship, whether it's singing a song, whether it's listening to a sermon, whether it's reading the scriptures for ourselves, whether it's uh, doing acts of kindness, whether it's giving, all these different things of worship, we can have the tendency to come to those things the way that we want to do it, right? Say, well, I think it's best this way. And I, you know, I, I know, you know, God probably wants this, but this is, this is probably okay. Or this is enough. Or this is as far as I'm willing to go. How often are we really like okay, more than able? 
when it comes to how we worship our God. God gave Cain the opportunity to change. First John chapter three, verse 12, John's writing and he's talking about how we can tell who is a believer and who is not and how we should act towards one another within the body of Christ. If he mentions Cain, he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, Cain didn't just have a problem with God. He had a problem with Abel too. Because he looks over at Abel and he sees that Abel has the heart of a worshiper. Abel has a heart that is acceptable to God. And he resents that. And he allows that anger to fester and void. And we come to verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. You think that was a, fun, a good conversation? Hey, bro, how's it going? I have a feeling this was probably either Cain yelling at him, <laughs> given the fact that he was very angry, or, you know, just maybe even just grumbling to him, you know, and, and throwing in jabs, you know. This was, this was not a, a fun conversation. This was not a good conversation. And, and, you know, we can debate whether or not him murdering Abel was premeditated. I don't know if it was. Um, I tend to think it probably wasn't premeditated just because of the way that this is written. You know, they, he, he talked to him. And I have a feeling that that was probably more of an argument. It was probably more of, a, uh, of an angry talk. And it says, not only did he talk to, to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What did God tell Cain? Sin is crouching at the door. And if you don't get control of it, it's going to control you. And here we have Cain doing something that perhaps he never would have thought that he had done. Killing his own brother. The first murder that we have in Scripture. All because he didn't want to come to worship the right heart. He wanted to come to worship his own way. He wanted to come to worship the way that he thought it should be done. He didn't want to come to worship the way that he knew God wanted it. This morning, I have three questions for you. I'll ask them very quickly before we split out here. As we look at these two examples in Scripture of Abel, one who has come with the heart of acceptable worship to God, and we look at Cain, one, one who does not come, comes to worship without the heart that is acceptable to God. A heart that is bent on his own desires. Three questions this morning. First, do we come to worship out of obligation or in faith? When we come to worship, is it because we feel like we have to? Or is it because our faith in God is so full that we can't not worship Him? Abel was the latter. 
This is evident in our in their aspects of worship. Do we sing out of a desire to not look bad or out of a desire to praise our Savior? Do we give out of gratitude to the one who gives you everything or because you get a tax break? Do you serve only in ways that others see or simply desire to meet the needs of the body? We must come to all these aspects of worship not with our desires and goals in mind, but in faith, knowing that God will reward us both here through sanctification and in the life to come. But secondly, do we come to worship not only out of obligation or in faith, but do we come to worship on our terms or do we come to worship with a desire to please God? Abel came to worship with a desire to offer something that was acceptable because of who God was. Cain came to worship on his terms and he was rejected. Finally, do we understand who it is we're worshiping and do we value him? Do we understand who we're worshiping and do we value him? Abel did. He brought of the first fruits of what he had. He brought the best of what he had. I don't think Cain did. Surely they had heard from their parents what had happened. Surely they knew that God was the creator of everything, including that beautiful garden. And surely they heard the story, possibly even their version of it, <laughs> that they gave to God. Oh, that servant, that serpent man, he deceives mom. And man, you know, I made the choice and, you know, I took some of it too. And that's why we're out here. We don't have to get to enjoy that anymore. Surely they understood that. Surely they knew the story of creation and the fall. They knew who God was. That's why Abel could bring the offering with a heart that understood who his creator was. How much more should we, when we come to worship, remember and understand who our God is, not just as the creator, but as our redeemer? They were still looking forward to that seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. We have seen him. And he dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. How much more do we have to offer in worship because of the one who we are worshiping? This morning, as you examine your heart Look at your worship, not just the standing and singing, but all the ways that we worship. And there's, there's going to be an A&I question about that. What other ways do we worship God? But as you're making that evaluation, evaluate how you approach each of those opportunities. Is it with a heart that gives acceptable worship? Or is it a heart that comes on your own terms, doing it your own way, and expecting God to accept it? Because if that's the case, he won't. Because he hasn't changed from the same God that evaluated Abel's heart and Cain's heart in Genesis chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. It's very familiar and it's one that many could get up here and talk about. It's a popular one. 
But Lord, I, I pray that this morning that we would take it in with new eyes, that we would see the areas in our life that we, quote, come to worship, but yet we do so not out of a heart that desires you. A heart that matches the one that Abel had. Rather, often, Lord, we come with a heart that is self-centered. I pray this morning that we would examine ourselves, that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would see the areas in our life that we claim to be worshiping you and, and where we fail. I pray that you would make them known to us. And I pray that unlike Cain, that we would, through your spirit, change. That we would approach this area of worship in a way that is acceptable to you. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say that we we have the hearts of an acceptable worship, but so that you will be glorified. Because in the end, that's really what matters the most, is that you are glorified in what we do. And part of that is how we come to worship. And I pray that you would change us, that you would make us more like Christ, even in this way, that we would have hearts that are drawn to you in worship of who you are. For it's in Christ's name we pray.